Welcome to the IC Made On podcast. We are so glad that you've chosen to listen online. If you would like to know more about who we are, why we exist, our service times and location, or how you can get involved, then check out our website at icmadeon.com. We hope you enjoy the message today. All right. Good morning. How are you guys? Man, you seem like you are ready for the last week of different. You guys ready? This has been nine weeks of studying First and Second Peter. Man, I've really loved it because I, I really love Peter in Scripture. I, I feel like he's one of the uh, biblical people that I feel like I can relate with. Not because he's so amazing when he's writing these letters, but because he messed up so much before. You know, maybe you're like me. You can relate with Peter. How many of you feel different? that you've been here through some of these weeks, right? I feel different. Let me read a few verses about you to remind you because what Peter talks about a lot in this final chapter of his second letter is reminding us of things. Let me remind you of these things. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance. Look at someone near you and say, God knows you. And he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, for we are God's masterpiece. Tell someone you are a masterpiece. He may not be finished yet, but God is working and he's creating a masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your welfare or for your good, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. So if you're here this morning and you feel like God's plan for me must be disaster, no, that's wrong. It's for your welfare or for your good plans to give you a hope and a future. And then 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, the first letter that Peter wrote, he told us, you are not like that. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. You are different. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are different. We were, we were created uh, by God, and we were saved by him to be different. I love this where it says God's very own possession. Because earlier we, we heard the thing that, that you are mine, you know, and, and that we are his. That, that scripture that says, uh, that God says, you will be my people, and I will be your God. We are his, and he is ours. And this being his very own possession, it's such a a beautiful picture of who God's people are. So here we have Peter, a disciple of Jesus. This is Peter when he's different. This is not the Peter who kept messing up and maybe misunderstanding what God meant and making mistakes and and having times where he was afraid and times where he had small faith or little faith. This is Peter after he is different. He's older. It's been... Uh, 30-something years since Jesus has left and gone to heaven to prepare a place. This is, this is Peter later. He's older. He knows his time is coming to an end. 
Jesus had already revealed to him that he would die for his faith. He was going to be martyred. And so he writes these letters because he has something important to say to the church. He writes these letters because he loves the church. And then in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, he starts with this. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind or your right thinking, undistracted attention, by way of a reminder. So Peter writes to us, he wants to stir up some things, he wants to remind us. Peter's writing, and I, I hope felt this over the last nine weeks, Peter's writing because he loves the church. Peter's writing because he loves God's people. And knowing that Peter was inspired by God to write this, I hope, like me, that you've heard the words of a loving father through these letters. When I hear the words that Peter wrote, I can feel God's love through them. The things that, the things that God wants to remind us of and teach us and warn us. And Peter is doing this, reminding us of things. Three reasons that Peter writes this letter. Number one is that we can forget things. He writes this letter and says, I want to stir up your mind by reminding of you things. We can forget things. How many of you forget things? I forget things. You wouldn't believe how many times I have gone to my house and from the church and I've forgotten my house keys. No key to the gate, no key to the house. It's normally when Carrie and I and the boys have driven here to the church We've been working with the staff in the office. And, man, when the staff here comes to work, it's like no one wants to leave. We work all day. And then usually there's an event in the evening and empty these events. And sometimes Gabriel, our youngest, because he's 10 years old, he maybe can't tahan, right? He, <laughs> pastor's kids have to tahan a lot. They have to, they have to sit in the office a lot and go here and go there. So sometimes I have Cassian, and I want to take him home early, you know, and I'll leave the keys with Carrie, the car keys, and I'll take Gabe, I'll order a go-car, go upstairs by Starbucks, get in the go-car, go to my house. Then when I get let out at the gate, say goodbye to the, to the car, I turn around to the gate, I have no keys to the gate. I have no keys to the house. And then Gabriel will look at me and say, now what, Dad? <laughs> I hate when my kids ask me that when I don't know. I, I don't know. Do you, do you have any ideas? I could climb the gate. That would work out good for him. He could at least sit in the chair on the porch. I can't climb the gate. I'd still be outside. So you know, so many times from in front of the gate, I've had to call Carrie and get her to go send me the keys. Or maybe I walk to the coffee shop down the street and sit there while she sends the keys. Two weeks ago when this happened, because it happens a lot, guys. I'm serious. I forget the keys. Because the house keys are on the keychain with the car keys. So if I leave the car with her, I'm messed up, you know? So two weeks ago, I called another go-car. It picked me up outside the gate of my house because I couldn't be inside. The go-car took me to Focal Point. Gabe and I sat at Wendy's, ate a Frosty to cool off. It was really hot. While Carrie ghost sent the keys to Focal Point so I could get my house keys at Focal Point, then order another go-car and take the go-car to my house and go in the house. Do you see how hard that is? When you forget things, that was a big process. All I wanted to do was go home. That's all. I forget things. Peter is encouraging Christians not to forget more important things. Sometimes we forget small things.
but we can, we can forget very important things, not just house keys and gate keys. We can forget the keys to this life, the keys that God has given us and told us, hey, here's, here's how this life should be. Here's how you should live. Here's who you are in me. Here's my promises. We can forget big things. We can forget the things that God has said. And Peter said, I'm, remi- I'm writing as a reminder and then verse 2, that you should remember the words spoken by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. We forget things. And, and Peter's saying, hey, I want to remind you, don't forget the things that God has said. Don't forget God's word. Don't forget the things that, that the disciples said and the things that the apostles and the prophets in the Old Testament. Don't forget the things that God has said. We forget that God promised to always be with us. When we're in a difficult situation, we feel alone and we wonder, how can I face this by myself? How can I handle this alone? Because we've forgotten that God's right there with us. We forget that he's forgiven us and sometimes we hang on to shame again from the same sin that he's already forgotten about. We walk around carrying shame. We forget things. We forget that he loves us. We forget that he is for us. We forget that Jesus is preparing a place and that he really is going to come back and take us home with him. We forget. And because we can forget, we can become discouraged, which is the second reason Peter wrote this. When we forget these things that God has told us and God has promised, we become discouraged. Maybe you're here and you've become discouraged from time to time, discouraged in life. Maybe discouraged with your family, discouraged at work, discouraged with your school, maybe discouraged with church, maybe even discouraged with God because he hasn't done things the way you thought it should be done or he hasn't done the things that you wanted him to do. Things go wrong in life and we're discouraged. We've forgotten and now we're discouraged. We can, we can be angry with God, angry with our parents, disappointed in life. We want to blame someone. Maybe we just get tired because we're trying to carry the weights of this world. We forget that we can trust those burdens in God's hands. We can trust God and we don't have to carry all these heavy burdens. Maybe we get discouraged because of people mocking or teasing or judging us because of our faith. Peter writes about mockers, about mockers, people who tease or judge or ridicule us because of our faith. That can cause us to be discouraged. In verses 3 through 4, he says, Knowing this, first of all, that mockers will come in the last days with mocking, following their own sinful desires. They will say, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. When you're in a difficult situation, these are the people that say, Hey, when is Jesus going to rescue you? Oh, you're a Christian. Where's your God now? When things don't go right, they're like, oh, this is how Jesus is. You don't seem blessed. This is what the Christian life is. See, I told you. Maybe when you're trying to follow Jesus and trying to be holy, and every time you take one misstep and you fail, they're pointing, oh, see, that's how your God is. That's how Christians are. I thought you're supposed to be holy, but now look at you. The people that mock you when maybe you're a new Christian or maybe a Christian that's just trying to get your life right and you're trying to to follow Jesus and the the people that say oh what are you now you're so holy you're so religious 
you're so spiritual, who do you think you are? The mocking, the teasing, the judging. Sometimes we're mocked, we're hated by some, we're misunderstood by others, and it can discourage us if we forget the things of God. I remember a guy named Mike Hoagland, a Christian that I worked with years ago before I was a Christian. Man, I mocked that guy, I teased him, I judged him, I persecuted him at work. I worked at a, a paint plant. I may have shared about this before, but, but I'll share it again because that's what I do. At least that's what my kids tell me. Just share the same stories over and over. They get better every time I tell them. Any parents like that? No. I worked at this paint plant. Me and Mike worked in the lab. It was really cool. It was like doing chemistry, all, mixing in all the ingredients to make certain colors. And then there was the, the plant or the, the fabric, the factory right there that we would make the small, the small paint. When we got the paint right, I would send it to the factory and they would make thousands and thousands of gallons of it and send it to companies that painted train cars and all these different things. But we made small samples, just me and Mike in the lab all day. And he would turn on the Christian radio station because he was a Christian. I hated the Christian radio station. I hated everything about it. I, I had tried church before and I was disappointed, discouraged by church. I didn't believe what they were saying. I, I liked Mike as a person, but I, I mocked him because of his faith. And there I was working in the lab, mixing up things, and this music that I thought was so lame. And then when the music would finish, someone would start preaching. It was horrible. He'd just start preaching and preaching and preaching. When he finished, the next preacher would come on and preaching and preaching. I hope you guys don't feel like this on Sundays. This is dangerous to share. You're like, I know exactly what you mean. Because I feel like that already. It's only been like 10 minutes, right? But it was like that, gosh, this guy's saying the same thing the other guy said. Is it all day? So when he would leave the lab, I would put in a cassette for the young people. A cassette used to have music on it. It's like a tape. I'd pop in a cassette of death metal. I liked death metal back in those days. Danzig and Nine Inch Nails and, and things like that. And, and so he would leave, and it was some nice Christian music or some preaching. And when he came back in, it was like, nah, 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 nah. and I felt good about myself. I really showed him. I showed him what real music sounds like. Mocking him. He could have been discouraged by that. He was never discouraged. He just kept doing what he was supposed to be doing. He was nice to me. He was patient. I remember as a new Christian, when I finally accepted Jesus, the mocking I received, it made me think of Mike. Man, I gave him a hard time. I, get, I had a hard time. From, from non-believers, I had another job, and, and the boss hated Christians. And I was a new Christian. I'm trying to follow Jesus and do all the right things. And because he knew that I was trying to live a holy life, when I would come into the office, he would have pornographic magazines laying around the office just to mock me or tease me and then laugh when I pushed them away. Because he knew I didn't want to look at it. Just mocking. Then from some people that had been Christians longer, I felt like the judgment was coming. The mocking from, man, I'm trying to live holy, but if I ever messed up, hey, you're still not good enough. You still haven't gotten there yet. You're not as holy as I am. I'm mocking from all sides sometimes it feels. People judging and teasing and mocking. We, we see it sometimes even in the news today when a celebrity says they've accepted Jesus. Not too long ago, there was news that Justin Bieber had become a Christian. 
I don't know Justin Bieber. Anyone here know Justin Bieber? <laughs> Gary, do you know Justin? No. But there was news he became a Christian. That should be great news for any of us Christians, right? We should immediately start praying for him, start trying to be an encourager. But I, I see even pastors talking about, oh, he said he's a Christian. Isn't that a new tattoo on his arm? Oh, he says he's a Christian. Didn't I see a picture on Facebook of him at the bar having a drink? You know, it's like, what is this? Like discouraging and critics and mocking and judging. I don't know his life, but man, those things will happen. And, 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 and just all the, all the mocking, all the teasing, all the whispering. Oh, he's not good enough. He's not, maybe he's a Christian, but he's not doing it good enough. Maybe this person's a Christian, but they're not doing it right. It sometimes feels like in life you can't win. Your non-Christian friends are upset with you for trying to be holy, and your Christian friends say you're not holy enough. Do you ever sometimes feel like you're trying to walk this line? I don't want to disappoint anyone. I don't want to. It can be so discouraging. I was thinking about that this week when I was reading this. Man, if you hear that someone has become a Christian, anyone, start praying for them. Be an encourager not a discourager. Here's, here's a fact. This is very true, and I think you will agree unanimously. No one needs another critic. Do you agree? Anyone here thinking, no, I would like another critic. I need someone to criticize my life choices. Anyone need that? No one. No one needs another critic. I don't need another critic. No one needs you or me to be a critic. I was thinking when this, I wrote it like this. When someone is in a critical moment, in their life, like becoming a Christian, just becoming a Christian, this critical moment, they don't need a critic, they need a caregiver. Imagine if you went to the hospital in critical condition, and the doctor comes in, and someone says, doctor, what are you going to do for him? And he says, well, first, I'm going to point out all the stupid things he's done. First, I'm going to point out all of his mistakes. No, you need someone to care for you. Man, this is critical. This is a critical moment. There needs to be some care, and we're supposed to care for people. We're supposed to cheer people on, be positive, encourage. Even if someone's taking small steps, we don't, we don't do the judgment of, well, I saw a picture. They were at the club Monday night. Be, see the positive side. Well, they weren't there Tuesday night, and they used to be there every night. That's steps forward. That's progress. That's something. God may be doing something we said that, that we are a masterpiece. The scripture says that. A masterpiece doesn't just happen. There's many paint strokes. We see that in our life. All these things. This is a stroke and here's a stroke. And, and all of these things. In all of our life, God creates a masterpiece. Sometimes there's people that will expect you to be a masterpiece immediately. And none of us can be there. And then suddenly we have discouragement. Peter also writes this letter because we can lose our focus. As humans, we have short attention spans. Anyone have a short attention span? Let me ask again in case you forgot since I last it. Anyone? <laughs> yeah? Anyone have it? What's short attention spans? Go to the, thankfully, it gets longer or, or bigger as we grow. But if you go to IC Junior, their curriculum is popping around activity, video, song. It's because attention spans are short. I don't think ours as adults are that much longer, really. I mean, especially in this age of technology. I get all of my news from Made On, on Instagram, from Made On Talk. Made On Talk is scary. If you flip through there, 
kachalaka'an, 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 bagal, bagal, bagal. It's, it's all bad news. It would make you afraid to leave the house in Maidan. Oh, a new restaurant. No, that's the other thing. It's, it's, it's just rolling. I just flip it, read headlines. I know everything. I don't read a whole article, just headlines, headlines, headlines. Short attention spans. I remember a time where I lost focus, and it was almost a disaster. Carrie and I were younger. My dad had a construction business. It was called Duncan Builders. I really love the name because my Nama Marga is Duncan. So I was supposed to be running that business right now, but God called me to ministry, and I'm so glad he did. I love that kind of thing, but I love this so much more. I wouldn't be here with you guys. I'd be wearing a hard hat somewhere, you know, telling people to dig a hole here and put a wall there. But anyway, my dad had a construction business. I worked for him, and he didn't have a job for me on the work site that day, so he asked me to do some construction at his house. So I knew how to uh, mix cement and pour cement and build forms. He wanted me to build a sidewalk from his back porch to his garage. So I needed to make the wooden forms, mix cement, pour the cement, smooth it all out, make the sidewalk. I really enjoy that kind of work. You do it, you sit back, it's finished. There's some satisfaction, right? I needed to clean up the yard first. There were a lot of weeds in that area. So I was digging and cutting and making a big pile, and I set it on fire to burn, burn all the debris, and I was focused. I loved what I was doing. I knew at the end of the day, this is going to be a great project. So proud. Then I got distracted by a beautiful girl. How many guys in here get distracted by beautiful girls? There's one brave guy in the back, and I'm not mentioning his name because I knew he would. No, it was Carrie. Carrie drove up. And, and she was like, hey, do you want to get a, go get a cold Coke with me? I was focused on my work, focused on this fire. How many of you know you need to focus when you build a fire? You know, I was focused. And then she drives up, hey, do you want to go get a cold Coke? Of course I said yes. If a beautiful girl drives up and says you want to go get a Coke, you go get a Coke. Even if you don't want a Coke. You know what I'm saying? So I got in the car, we go. We're, we're gone for like 10 or 15 minutes. We're coming back. We're just chit-chatting and, and enjoying the time. And when we pull up to my dad's house, I could see the fire had grown so much. It had gotten within inches to my dad's house. Carrie got out of the car with me. We're both trying to beat the fire out and, and kick pine straw on it and try to find water. I didn't even know where my dad's water hose was. It was, it was so close to being a disaster. Even when I thought about it this week, it scared me. I mean, it gives me chills. Carrie doesn't, I think Carrie said it gives her chills too. He had this huge, nice house, and I almost burnt the whole thing down <laughs> because I lost focus. It can happen so quick. In 10 minutes, it's almost disaster. So Peter, because of his love for the church and inspired by God, writes these letters because we can forget things because we can become discouraged, and because he knows that we can lose our focus. And he tells us some things that we should do or that we need to do because of those three things. The first thing he says is we need to stir up right thinking. Stir up right thinking. Verses 1, through two, uh, one and 2 of Second uh, Peter chapter 3. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved, in both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind. Sincere means clean or pure. 
stirring up your right thinking, your undistracted attention, by way of a reminder that you should remember the words spoken by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through the apostles. It stirs up this right thinking. I believe most of you in here have the right thinking there, but if we don't remind ourselves of God's word and what he said, that right thinking sort of settles. The world we live in, the situations of life, that stirs up wrong thinking. It stirs up anger and greed and jealousy and all these things that, are, that would be considered wrong thinking. So Peter is reminding us, stir up right thinking. Be reminded of God's word. It brings up the, the good things, love and peace and joy. In, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, Paul talks about this. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. We have to stir up the right thinking, being reminded constantly of what God has said. So in this one, it is remembering what God has said. Remember what God has said. Stir up right thinking, remembering what God has said. Reading your Bible daily. If you want to have right thinking every day, we have to be reminded of what God said every day to stir that up. Joining life group, like Gary said, having those conversations with other people about God, it stirs up right thinking. Being in church, that's what I try to do here is you guys come in and I try to stir it up again. It's not always things that you didn't know. It's things that you forgot. Oh, I remember that. I've read that scripture. I've read that story, but things seem to settle and we stir it up on Sunday so we have that right thinking again. Have you forgotten some important things? Have you forgotten God's promises? We need to be reminded. We need to stir those things up. The second thing we need to do is mute the mockers. Mute those who mock. Mute those who tease. Mute those who judge. Mute those who are discouragers. Those who want to say it's ridiculous that we're waiting for Jesus to come back. People will say it's ridiculous that we believe someone came and died for our sins. Someone that mocks and discourages and, and ridicules. Those who say, what is he waiting for? That's what Peter was dealing with at that time. They thought Jesus was going to go up and come right back. The disciples were sharing the gospel like crazy. I mean, that's why we're Christians today. They were sharing the gospel as if they believed Jesus could come back any day. And he can this is 30 years later, and people are saying, hey, where is he? Jesus said he's coming back. Where is he? He's not back yet. And Peter's telling them, hey, don't worry about the mockers. People who will tell you in your situation, hey, where is he? You believe in God. Why is this going wrong in your life? How do we mute the mockers? By having facts, by knowing the truth, by knowing God's word. It doesn't necessarily mute their mocking. They'll keep talking but it mutes the power of their words. If we know the facts, if we know the truth, people can say whatever they want. It doesn't move us. This is like a puppet. Mock, mock, mock. This is what it looks like, mockers. Mock, 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 mock. It's still there, but it has no power. Why? I know the truth. It doesn't matter what anyone says. They can't, they can't discourage me. They can't move me. I know the truth. Peter said in verses 8 through 9, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, 
that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So we remember what he has said. We remember who he is. He's patient. He's kind. He's merciful. He's loving. One thing those that mock and tease and judge don't understand is that the reason Jesus delays is for them. It's not for us. Those of us that have already accepted Jesus, we're saved. We're going to heaven. Jesus delays for those very people. It says because he's patient, he doesn't want anyone to perish. There's people in your family that they may tease you and mock you because of your faith. The reason Jesus hasn't returned yet is because of them. He's given them more time. He wants them to be saved. He wants them to believe. It's for people outside this church today. He wants them to have a chance. So he delays and he waits. He's being patient, not slow. I remember the guy, Mike, that I was talking about that I mocked and teased and persecuted at my job. He was so patient with me. He didn't tell me off. He didn't shout at me or get angry. He was so patient. And when the point happened in my life that everything fell apart, Mike was one of the first people I ran to because he said he knew God. And I knew I needed God's help. I mocked him and persecuted him and changed the radio station and all these things and had no respect for him until my life fell apart. And I'm like, Mike, what was that you said about Jesus? What was that that, that guy was saying on the radio? What was, and the guy after him? And the, I needed it then. My life had fallen apart. And there was Mike. God had positioned him right in the perfect place that when I needed help, here was this guy that I had been mocking for years. There he was. Mike, I need help. He not only helped me through that situation, but he started having a Bible study with me at work on our lunch break every day. He'd say, hey, just bring your lunch, sit at my desk. We'll read the Bible. I'll, I'll teach you these things. Man, so patient. He should have hated me, but he took the time. He was just like God. He was patient. He had waited for the right time, and I needed him. Maybe you're in a tough situation at work, at school, maybe in your family where you're being teased or mocked or judged. I know some of you are. Just be patient. Just be patient like your God is patient. Keep shining your light. Don't get angry. Don't get discouraged. Be ready when the mockers run to you and say, hey, what was that you believe again? Will you pray for me? Some of you have had those situations. Someone that... that had no respect for you and mocked you and teased you. And then at some point, they're like, hey, will you pray for me? Just be patient and be ready for that. The third one is be found faithful. I, can I ask Melvin to come up, please, and play for us? Peter said in verses 11 and 12, since everything will be destroyed in this way, and this was talking about when the, the earth will be destroyed and there'll be the new heaven and the new earth, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you wait eagerly for the day of God to come. I love how that describes it, waiting eagerly. Another version says to look forward to the day of God. Jesus coming back isn't scary for Christians. 
it shouldn't make us feel nervous or afraid. It's an exciting time. We should look forward to it. We should be waiting eagerly. We should be watching the sky. We should be like, like the first, uh, the early church, the first Christians, where they were sharing the good news because they thought it could be today. It could be t- every day waking up. This could be the day. Knowing that, how should we live? We should live holy and godly lives because this could be the day. I can't wait. I'm so excited for Jesus to come back. I know there's things that I need to be doing, and when I see people that don't know him, it motivates me. I want them to know him. But on the same hand, I'm excited to physically be in the presence of the God that I love and serve. Think about that. We will be there with him. That's something to wait for eagerly. That's motivation to live holy and godly lives. We need to be reminded of that. It's not just a fairy tale. It's not something, yeah, we sort of believe, but I don't know. And these guys, early on, they were like, this could be the day. Jesus is coming back. Imagine Peter for these 30 years or so waiting every day thinking, I'm going to see Jesus again. I'm going to see him again. I'm going to see him again, waiting patiently, eagerly, looking forward to it. Verse 14 says, so then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. It talks about how we should be found when Jesus comes back. We want to be found faithful. When Jesus comes back, I want to be found busy doing what he told us to do. I want to be found being the person that God created me to be. I believe every single one of you are here for that same reason. You want Jesus to come back and find you faithful. You want him to find you, and you're that masterpiece he's been working on. You've been busy reaching out to people and sharing your faith. You've been busy becoming like him, and you look more like him when he comes back, and and there's a resemblance. Be found faithful, spotless, blameless, at peace with God, holy, and godly. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says, do not copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, by stirring up right thinking, being reminded. That's what makes us different, being reminded, having those things stirred up. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Remember what he said, Remember who he is. Remember what he did. Verses 17 and 18 says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, are being warned. Take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people, sinful people, or false teachers, and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Why did Peter love the church so much? Why did Peter love God's people? Why did Peter love us sitting here today in church in Maidon? Even now, why did he love us even in the future knowing we would be here? Why did he love us so much? Why was it so important for him to teach us and remind us of these things? I remember this this very special moment that Peter had with Jesus on the beach. Remember, Peter had had failed God. He felt, he had forgotten things. He had been discouraged. He lost his focus. 
when Jesus was arrested and things had just totally fallen apart in Peter's mind. Life hadn't gone like he saw it. And people were even saying, hey, weren't you with Jesus? He said, no, I don't know him. Wait, you were one of Jesus' followers. No, not me. I don't even know who he is. Three times he denied Jesus. Jesus was crucified. He rose from the dead. And then Peter, through this discouragement, he tells his friends, I'm going fishing. He just went back to what he did before. He was a fisherman. He'd forgotten who he was. He had been discouraged by life. He lost his focus, said, I'm just going fishing again. And he had this special moment. Peter understood what it meant to forget the important things in life. If you remember Peter, he had had that moment standing with Jesus. And he said, who do you say that I am? And of all the disciples, Peter's the one that said, I know who you are. You're the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. Think about this great moment. And Jesus said, Peter, you're right. And only the Holy Spirit could reveal that to you. You are the rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. Peter had forgotten all of that when he went fishing. He had forgotten this moment with Jesus. He had forgotten Jesus' words. You're going to be a leader in the church. You're going to do great things for me. He had become discouraged. He understands what it feels like to be discouraged, to be afraid, to lose faith. Peter understands what it feels like to be mocked. When things didn't go right and he's discouraged and the people were mocking him. Hey, you know Jesus. You know Jesus. No, I don't. He understands what it's like to lose focus. Because instead of of going to start the church, instead of doing the things God called him to do and being who God told him to be, when Jesus said, you are the rock, he just went back to fishing. And then a man walks out on the beach and looks out to them and says, hey, are you catching anything? No, we're not. Throw the net on the other side. So they do that. And when they pull it up, they can barely pull it up. It's so full of fish. Peter recognizes that's Jesus on the beach. He recognizes this is the one that I love. This is the one that I miss. This is the one he feels like he failed so badly. Peter didn't even wait for the boat to come on the shore. He jumped out right then and started swimming. It sounds like Peter, if you've read about him, he acts before he thinks a lot, right? There's Jesus. He's not even waiting till they can get to shore. He jumps out and starts swimming to the shore. He gets there. The fish come in. He has this time with Jesus. Jesus fixes the breakfast. They have ikan bakar right there on the beach. That sounds nice, right? Then it says in John 21, 15 through 19, when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus spoke to Simon Peter. Simon, son of John, he said, do you love me more than these? Yes, master, he said. You know I'm your friend. Well, then he said, feed my lambs. Simon, son of John, said Jesus again for a second time, do you love me? Yes, master, he said. You know I'm your friend. Well, then he said, look after my sheep. Simon, son of John, said Jesus a third time, do you love me? Are you my friend? Peter was upset that on this third time, Jesus had asked, do you love me? Master, he said, you know everything. You know I love you. You know I'm your friend. Well then, said Jesus, feed my sheep. I'm telling you the solemn truth, he went on. When you were young, you put on your own clothes and went about wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you up 
and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus was telling him, when you're older, someone's going to stretch out your hands and tie your arms together. They're going to dress you. They're going to lead you to your execution. The same thing that was about to happen when Peter writes this letter. It says, Jesus said this to indicate the sort of death by which Peter would bring God glory. And when he had said this, he added, follow me. And Peter did follow him. The rest of his life, he followed him. And he had this love for the church because Jesus had told him, he gave him this chance. He, he redeemed him. He restored him. Peter had denied the, Jesus three times. And three times, Jesus gave him this chance to be restored. Do you love me? Three times this chance to not only receive God's forgiveness, but to forgive himself and let that go. To be able to be who he was created to be. To remember, to be encouraged and push out the discouragement. To get his focus back. And even today when we read these letters, and as we have over nine weeks now, as we read this, Peter's still fulfilling that promise to Jesus on the beach. The fire still burning, the fish bones there after breakfast, and Jesus prom Peter promises Jesus, I will take care of your people. I will teach your people. And when we read these letters, he's still fulfilling that. When Peter had forgotten the important things and when he had become discouraged with life and when he lost his focus, the key he found to fixing that was sitting with Jesus. When you forget the important things, when you get discouraged, when you lose your focus, can I encourage you to do the same thing? You just need to find somewhere and sit with Jesus. It may not be on the beach with Ikambakar. It could be right here in Maidan with Hujan all day. But Jesus is still there waiting patiently, and he'll sit with you. And suddenly, all of it will come back together. I know who I am. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. I know I'm forgiven. I don't feel ashamed anymore. I'm not afraid. My faith is built up. I feel strong. So I want to give you an opportunity this morning, the same opportunity that Jesus offered to Peter. I want to ask three times, do you love Jesus? And at whatever moment, whether it's after the first time I ask, the second time, the third time, that moment when God prompts your heart, when he, when he motivates you, I want you to stand up answering yes. And what will happen when I ask you these things, here's some of the things that I'm offering. Salvation. If you don't know Jesus and you don't have his salvation yet, all you have to do is when I say, do you love Jesus, stand up and you'll receive salvation. If it's forgiveness of sins you're looking for, they can be forgiven today. If it's, it's removing of shame and guilt, that can be gone this morning. If it's, if it's being restored, if it's a chance to repent, a new life, a fresh start, everything can start new from today. Yesterday doesn't matter anymore. All it takes is saying, Jesus, I love you. You know that I love you. 